Hello and welcome to the Essendon People Podcast, an unofficial Essendon Football Club supporter podcast. Hosted by Brendan and Mark, Essendon People is a podcast for those who live and breathe Aussie rules and the Mighty Bombers. From the casual fan to the hardcore supporter, if you have the red and black in your heart, then Essendon People is the podcast for you. Thank you for joining us. Let's Let's start start the pod. pod. Hello and welcome to episode 90 of the Essendon People podcast, our round 13 review for the game against Carlton. So it was Essendon 13-8-86 to Carlton 6-16-52. We won by 34 points, Brendan, and there's nothing sweeter than beating that rabble that's Carlton. Absolutely nothing sweeter other than listening to them capitulate on the radio the next day. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, what is it, the old eye barrack precedent and whoever's playing Carlton and that, uh, when, you, when you beat Carlton as an Essendon board, you've had two wins. Uh, Essendon's won and Carlton's lost. How much um, content have you listened to in terms of like Blue Abroad and, you know, some of those sort of uh, forums and things like that as well? How, how much Carlton misery have you uh, gotten around? I must admit, I... I like Blue Abroad. I think Terry's the guy that runs that over there. He does a fantastic thing. And I know this is an Essendon podcast, but if you actually want to go listen to something good from another club, I really encourage you to go check his that stuff out. I think it's actually a good football thing. I like, you know, we all have our little rivalries and stuff, but we all love footy there. He does a really great job there. Obviously, can't focus there, but um, yeah. Let's just say I've consumed a fair bit. <laughs> <laughs> Always good. So let's go down quarter by quarter. So in the first quarter, there was Carlton one goal, five eleven to Essendon two four sixteen. So we obviously took the five point lead in that quarter time. There, it was difficult to watch uh, in the first quarter. I think that you know, inaccuracy. Both sides had six scoring shots, and you know there was ten behinds kicked. Um, you know, out of those twelve scoring shots, so. Uh, it was a little bit difficult to watch in terms of, uh, I guess, just the the game and the flow of the game, and and it wasn't uh, it wasn't exactly something that you'd like to sit down on the couch and watch or be at the game and watch. So um, that I think combined with very early on, we saw that the umpires were just going to blow the whistle every contest. It was pretty much a non-contact sport there um, for a while. Yeah, the uh, the hands in the back rule came back <laughs> on on Sunday night. There it was. Um... They haven't paid a free kick for pushing the back for about five years, it feels like, and all of a sudden they all come at once there. So I would say we were on the recipient of a couple of couple of soft ones. The uh, the Phillips mark and goal comes comes to mind there um, as a prime example of that. But, yeah, um, what I'll say is that <laughs> we've often been on the wrong end of the, of the free kick count over the journey. Umps have seemed to have hated us for a decade, so... The fact that we get one go our way, I'm not going to complain. Huge numbers too. Essendon, 32 free kicks for a game. Some clubs wouldn't see that in three weeks. Like it's it's 32 free kicks and then Carlton have 18 as well, which is a pretty high number in a game. So, you know, 50 free kicks for a game. That's that's what makes it a bit unwatchable. I guess uh, the average footy fan would probably prefer that the whistle gets put away in some of those circumstances and, you know, let the game go. It was, uh, yeah, it was, it was a bit frustrating to watch. So anyway, we'll move into the second quarter and it was a little bit more of the same, to be honest. So uh, we kicked two goals, 214 to their 2517. So they had the seven scoring shots. Luckily, they went at 28% efficiency and um, only won the quarter by three three points there. And we went in at halftime uh, trailing by two points, but I guess pretty lucky there just with their inaccuracy that they didn't sort of, you know, put us to the sword a little bit because they had some really gettable shots as well. Yeah, that's right. You know, at half time there, we've we've had 10 scoring shots to their 13, but we've kicked, you know, four goals, six to their three goals, 10. It was, um, I don't know, we've all, we've all lived through the years of inaccurate goal kicking of the Bombers there, so we, we know the pain of it there. But, geez, it must have been really frustrating for the current reporters to, to watch that, to have, you know, 10 behinds. You know, they really could have... You know, put us to the sword there. And that was a little bit, I thought, Carlton did some smart stuff around the midfield there, getting the ball forward. I think they dominated um, inside 50s for, for a period there. We're not a strong inside 50 side, but, um, yeah, they were just getting a lot of ball, easy ball out, the, out of the stoppage and, you know, 
we still got to tighten up our defence. That Carlton halfbacks going to get through the midfield too easily there. But I guess you know we were just chugging along, keeping ourselves in there, keeping ourselves in there. Our accuracy whilst only at forty percent, you know, that they came at important times, right? Where it kind of stopped a bit of momentum. So yeah, I thought all in all at halftime to be, you know, leading by two points. I thought it was, oh, it's a fair enough game. What I will say is I did think, uh, oh, maybe we're a chance of getting blown away here. Like, you know, after halftime, that's when the, it'll start come from. Like, it was, Carlton's had a tough run recently, so it was bound to come sometime there. So the fact that we came out of the blocks in the third quarter and just absolutely smashed them, you know, seven goals, one forty-three to two goals straight by the Blues, right? And it was just our midfield, just blitzed them from the centre. Drapes in the ruck did a fantastic job of getting the ball forward. And then it was the young mids in, you know, Perkins, Hobbs, Corwell, Nick Martin on the wing, Sammy Durham. Really, really, they drove that 10-minute patch at the first start of the third and really got, you know, Big Peter Wright involved and, you know, a couple other, you know, Jai Menzi with a little snap there. You know, even Zach Merritt himself pushed forward, took that took that mark early, kicked it going, got stuck in the corner. I was really happy to see uh, Merritt do that. He's the captain. You know, you're going to bring in a bloke to try and bully him. He's coming out. You've got to get in his face and really lead from the front with that physicality, saying, I'm not here to be walked over. I'm, I'm, you're going to come to me. I'm going to get, get mine back on you. Yeah, and as you said, all the damage was really done in the first 10 minutes. We kicked six goals, I think, in a 10-minute space, and it was really exciting to watch. I remember at halftime actually saying, gee, it'd be nice to come out and just pile on eight goals, and it almost fully come true, and um, and we, we kicked 7-1, which was nice accuracy there too. The last quarter, we only managed the two goals one um, there, so they kicked one goal six. So we still won that quarter by one point, but again, the inaccuracy, there was a time there early in the last quarter where – um, you know, the third quarter, I should say, I think we got out to a 39-point lead at one stage and then it sort of came back a little bit. They kicked a couple of late goals. But there was a time there at the start of the fourth quarter where I thought, gee, we don't we don't want to let them get another goal here because they'll get it down to four goals, three goals, and then all of a sudden it's game on again and you're sort of reliving, you know, the um, the nightmares of Anzac Day kind of a year in that territory. So thankfully they were pretty inaccurate and we went on um, to win the game by 30 34 points, and uh, I guess the rest is history. So maybe let's move into uh, a few of the key stats. Yeah, so I guess talk about – we've talked a lot recently about contested, uncontested, and how we're using the football there. So, you know, we lost the uncontested, you know, by about 15, 17 possessions. Surprisingly, lost the uncontested as well. So – we had a lot less of the ball in terms of contested, uncontested, but we actually had more effective disposals. We went at 80% across the ground, which I think was uh, was really important there, just that sure, more calm, took, took that extra second, made the right decision, hit guys up. I thought that was really indicative of us, you know, having that control in the third. Yeah, it's interesting that we did um, trail them in uncontested positions because if you go to the marks, we've had 103 marks to their 78 um, and obviously a, a lot of those aren't contested. So, um, yeah, interesting that we trailed there. The other big one was the tackles. We, we laid 64 tackles, 19 of those inside 50, and uh, had 52 one percenters as well to go with those tackles. And then Carlton, in comparison, only had 33 tackles for the game, seven of which were inside 50 and 38 one percenters. So that's what I was kind of indicating earlier that, um, yeah, they, they were sort of not, not in great form. And uh, I guess the inaccuracy is what really probably helped us there because that might have got them up. But but otherwise, you know, that pressure sort of assisted there with, with the tackles. 33 tackles for a game is really poor for a side. And um, fortunately, we're on the other end of that where we're 64. And that's that's a pretty good number to be up around. Well, 31 tackles. I'm pretty sure that's getting close to our piss-poor, pathetic performance against uh, Sydney last year in the Dylan, Dylan Shield, Luke Parker, you know, ducking thing. So you can imagine how frustrated we were uh, in that game, that's kind of what we've managed to do to Carlton, you know, to have that much more of the ball and have control of it. I thought we had the control of the game for the most part to also, you know, in essence, almost double their tackle numbers and especially 
19 tackles inside 50. Like the modern games, that forward pressure game, you know, repeat entries, trap it in there. You know, I think that's, yeah, it's a really, really good sign that the players are working for each other. You know, it's not, it's, it's a real team based approach that we've had. And, you know, and that's where success comes from. You know, as we mentioned, 41 inside 50 to Carlton's 56 today had much more of the ball go in there, but we had one less scoring shot. And then from that one less scoring shot, we converted at three times the rate, so, or twice the rate, you're right? So I think we've done a very good job on the night, especially when we're missing some, some key members of the side. Let's move into the good, bad and ugly. So uh, straight off the top, the good we've got here is a win against Carlton, always good to beat them. Um, you know, we, we sort of joked about it a little bit there as well at times at the start, but um, it is always good to beat them. They're, they're a big rival of ours and, um, you know, it's it, it, normally you feel a bit sorry for a club, I guess, when they're on their knees a little bit. And you can see they're basically in the position we were in last year and that the club's a bit of a shambles in that. And it, although it might sound a bit harsh maybe to some listeners, but... We couldn't really care less. We're we're on a better path now, and we hope we stay there. And um, it's just good good to be Carlton, and it's it's been a little bit. We've I think the last three times they've got us, so um, good to get back on the on the winners list against the Blues. That's it. That's it. I think we all are being both being big clubs there. We all know, you know, mates that are that are Carlton supporters there, and obviously with you know what happened at the end of last year, they were getting a lot of us were getting stuck into us, and they were thinking they were on the path up and we were going to be down for a while. So it was um, it was good to see a bit of a role reversal there and be able to, to get it over them, especially after, you know, the 150th game last year was one of the – that pre-match we talked about at the time, Mark, was one of the actual highlights. It, was, it happened before a game. <laughs> and then to actually come out and get beaten the way we did in that game was uh, was really disappointing. So to come out here and really um, stick to the Blues was good. I will say I did like the uh, – the time slot, the King's Birthday Eve. I think the two clubs got together, had all the, the 16 Premiership Cup seats in the middle. They're trying to, you know, the Carlton did a lot trying to invoke like that 90s, you know, when both clubs were powerhouses. And, you know, having us both live through that, I can really connect to that and, you know, kind of makes you reminisce on good times. But I think the point is now we've got to start pushing forward to a new era. I think we're talking about, you know, if you're under the age of 28, as an Essen supporter, you, you don't have any connection to 2000, right? Even, you know, and you don't even have a connection if you're a Carlton, it's even longer. So, yeah, it's it's a long time, 30 years, both sides have, you know, done not much. So hopefully going forward, we can improve, they can stay the same and I'll be a happy man. Yeah, and, and on the game, it was a Carlton home game, um, but you wouldn't know it. it. It felt like an Essendon home game. A lot of Essendon fans turned up. Um, the general admin tickets all got exhausted pretty early, and I reckon that was a lot of Essendon fans getting on board and, and grabbing their tickets and getting to the game. There was a lot of red and black walking in uh, across to the G. Um, there was a lot of stuff outside that was Essendon-related as well. And then when you walked in, you know, Carlton had all their usual stuff on the screen or whatever, but the actual atmosphere and the noise and everything there was there was a lot of Essendon support there and there was eighty three and a half thousand people turned up and it was it definitely didn't feel like it was uh you know a Carlton home game you know big games like Anzac Day you know if Collingwood gets a home game they kind of have probably the the leverage of the crowd but that's certainly not how it felt on Sunday and um really good support for for the Dons and we've said that over the last few weeks that there's been really good turnout uh to the games and Hopefully that continues because I think it's really rubbing off on the club as a whole and, and on the the team on the on the game day as well. Yeah, and we've we've talked a bit, you know, in previous years how about you know we didn't feel that there was that connection between the players and the fans. You know, we kind of whenever they'd come out and say, "Oh, we're disappointed, we feel your pain," we kind of like, "Do you really?" I, I don't believe that you you do. You know, because you, you keep putting up the same type of efforts, right? And, you know, it's funny how Carlton's in that space that we were there, but it just shows you, like, the group is certainly more united and connected, you know, and that's um, really pleasing to see, you know. You know, we're at the midpoint of the Biden now, so we're going to do a bit more reflecting on, you know, what's happened in the first half of the year, and that's probably been the real standout thing for me, that the group seems connected underneath the kind of vision that Scott, Brad Scott has, uh, you know, how to play, and they're all 
pulling together, even if it means, you know, individually they don't play as well, but they're playing a role that benefits the team. Uh, they keep getting the game and the side's winning. The next two goods I'll group into one, um, it's kind of at opposing end. So, so in terms of a offensive effort, eight individual goal kickers, which is good to see. And then we had 13 players with multiple tackles. So I guess one good offensive item and one good defensive item. And of those 13 players with multiple tackles, I think it was eight players that had four or more tackles. And, and we've spoken a number of times, Brendan, that, you know, the – the aim should be probably be one a quarter for each player. That you know, that's probably not too much to ask. And there was eight people that managed to do that, or if not more, um, on the weekend. So, uh, yeah, good to see that sort of defensive mindset continuing. I know that there's a few stats out there about us being still a little bit subpar defensively, but I think you've got to compare it to where we come from last year. And there's been definitely an improvement and there's been a definite mindset shift as well uh, in the players. So, yeah, eight individual goal kickers, 13 players with multiple tackles. Well, let's start talking about the players then, I guess. Um, the midfield, Martin, Corwell, Hobbs and Perkins. Um, wow. Well, <laughs> you know, lots of talk about, you know, some senior players being out and, you know, and how that's going to affect us. But, you know, all it's done is created opportunities for these guys to step into and then, They've had the opportunity and they've taken it with both hands and ran with it. You know, kind of really shown, you know, well, Martin on the wing, but he kind of played more a bit in the middle as well there. But guys like Corwell, Hobbs and Perkins, you know, at the start of the season, you know, playing on a flank or, you know, coming off the bench in a different role, weren't getting many, if any, centre bounce attendances there. And for them to come in and really run the midfield, especially in that third quarter, get on top against... Cripps, big body, against Kennedy, against Chera, against Sam Walsh, against some some pretty good players in the competition in that centre bounce area to come out and beat them. And I just wanted to, to highlight Archie Perkins there. You look at his stats, he's had 18 disposals, two marks, five tackles and four score involvements. And you think, oh, yeah, he's had an okay day and you watch him, he's had okay, but he played on Paddy Cripps. You know, he didn't, it wasn't a tag, it was more of a talk about that education, just run with the bloke, try and stop him. And he managed to limit Cripps to 19 disposals, right? And he kind of looked like he had a pretty good game out there, Archie. And I thought, you know, Corwell and Hobbs obviously got a lot of, got a lot of the ball and did more with it. But I thought that game in particular was, I, I was worried coming in, Cripps is the captain, they're under pressure, he loves playing against us, he's going to feast and just rip us apart. And I thought sending Archie to him was a really smart move by the coach, and Archie pulled it off. Yeah, and I, and I know we discussed this as well, and probably many of some people did, but there's there's a particular play there where Menzi ends up snapping the goal, and there's a series – we win the centre bounce, and there's a series of handballs that end up um, ending in that Menzi snap goal. And if you go back and watch the bounce, it's Draper obviously taking the ruck, uh, and then it's Caldwell, Hobbs – and Martin in at the centre bounce. And I know something we said in the first month or so of this year was that there wasn't enough variety in the centre bounce. It was always Setterfield Parish merit. You know, through injury, there's been opportunities given to people. And I personally wasn't sure whether we would see Nick Martin attend a centre bounce, and he attended a few of them on, on the weekend, and it was good to see. So, yeah, those those young guys were in there, and, you know, they were up against, uh, I think Silvani might have taken the ruck. But after that, it was, you know, there was Walsh in there. There was Adam Serra. There was... Um, I think Matt Kennedy as well. So like, yeah, maybe that's not an all Australian midfield that they're up against, but it's still something and it's still equal and big bodies. And apart from, you know, in that center bounce for us, the oldest person there is, is Sammy Draper at 24 years old and 56 games, you know, Martin's only 22 and 30 odd games. Colbo, I think is 22 with 30 or 40 odd games. Uh, Hobbsy's obviously only 19. Um, and uh, yeah, Colwell, as we said, that they're not very old as well. So um yeah, good to see yeah, young young players getting an opportunity and, and getting it done as well. Well, moving from the young, we'll go to the opposite end and talk about some experienced leaders and, and Dyson Heppel and Zach Merritt. Hepp had the 23 touches, went at 96% efficiency, eight marks, five intercepts. And Zachy went 18 disposals, five marks, kicked one goal one. But this is where I think is really important. Six tackles, four inside 50s and seven score involvements. You know, I, there was lots during the night about him compared to, you know, Sam Walsh. You know, Walsh had 35 there. But I think 
merits what he did forward of centre is what has really stood out. Mark, we've often talked about on the podcast, we need more goals out of the midfield, right? And we need more, you know, scoring chains and getting involved in goal assists and score involvements. And that's kind of, we talk, we've lauded Zach a lot this year about his defensive work, but his offensive work has been equally good in getting involved and helping teammates out. So that was really good. And I thought Heppel um, copped a little bit of heat early in the year, but I think his past month's been pretty good. And, you know, I think Sunday night was probably one of his better games of the year. Yeah, I, I really liked Dyson's game. And I think he went at sort of 90, yeah, 95%. You got it there, 96% efficiency. So, um, yeah, I really liked Heppel's game. Looked really reliable down there and um, looked really at home in the back six, which was good. And as you said, Merritt able to shake the tag and starting to hit the scoreboard as well, showing a bit of a um, little bit of fight and aggression uh, as well. Not that he has it in the past, but I think the captaincy really suits him and I think he's really taken to it and um, taken a bit of extra responsibility on with it. And it's it's proving to be a really good decision, I think, for both Heppel and Merritt. Heppel maybe not having that um, extra level of expectation every week on him and, and being able to focus on his own game. And Merritt, I think, has been excelling with having the extra expectation on him. So... Um, been a great move uh, for, for both parts there. Move on to the medium defenders. So Mason Redmond, Jordan Ridley, Andy McGrath. Redmond, 23 disposals at 96% efficiency. Ridley, 20 disposals at 100% efficiency, if you don't mind, with uh, five rebound 50s, eight marks, seven intercepts. And Andy McGrath, 21 disposals, three marks, five tackles, and uh, eight intercepts. So all those guys played really good roles. I thought Redmond was really important uh, when the game was sort of a little bit evenly contested. He broke the lines. He took a few things on. Um, he showed aggression. He came in to, to chop out teammates and to, you know, punch the ball away. And uh, Ridley was the same, took some big intercept marks. Um, and Andy McGrath has done his usual thing. He's probably one of the more defensive players that we have uh, in the back line. And it proved really valuable um, at times again. So I think the back six has been working really well, uh, really well together. Yeah, no, I agree. It's just like that cohesion, I think, has been really noticeable. And, you know, that's really important for us because, you know, you're building that group. I think there was lots of – it was interesting to see that Redmond talk after the game there about it was Laverty's 100th game and, you know, and how they've kind of – they've come together through the VFL and how many games they've played in the VFL. He played a lot of VFL, Redmond, Laverty played together, Ridley, Langford – you know, those guys were down there, BZT, right, so, uh, no, Nick Hind. So a lot of those guys have played, starting to play a lot of football together at, you know, and especially in that back line as a unit. So, um, yeah, it's really good to see that they're starting to kind of take all the development that we've put into them and, and growing and showing, you know, they can be hopefully a finals uh, level back line despite being undersized and undermanned at times. Yeah, definitely. And uh, we'll move on to the senior forwards. So Peter Wright back for his first game this year, Kyle Langford and Jake Stringer. So they all bought something a little bit different. Peter Wright, uh, eight disposals, took five marks inside 50, kicked five goals and uh, had the six score involvements. He's such a reliable kick. Like he just, if he gets a good run at the ball, you're confident that he might mark it. And if he has a shot on goal, you're pretty confident. But not since... This is a huge call, but not since Matty Lloyd have I been as confident with someone going back to have a set shot. I remember as a kid watching Lloyd and just assuming that it was going to go through, and I might have been a little bit naive at the time as, as a young kid, but um, Peter Wright gives me a, a few flashbacks there just with his reliability and, and the confidence that he installs in you. It's the, It was the perfect night to compare and contrast. And you've got Harry Mackay, you know, Coleman medalist, right? You think that oh, geez, we know another, we know another key forward, and he's going there. But to see how he's kicked and the worries that he's had, and he's got all the talent in the world, and it reminded me of of Danaher and the years we spent watching him. And he wasn't, he just had no confidence in himself. He didn't know if it was going left or it was going right, what was going to happen. And then have Peter come in off, you know, missing twelve weeks with a shoulder. And they were just, before it left his boot, you'll know, and they were going in. He knew exactly what he was doing, right? And he missed that one and it didn't make the distance and whatever. But it still didn't miss by a great margin in the, in the overall scheme of things. So, yeah, it was just so good to have a bloke that 
oh, he's going to kick this. Oh, I'll get it to Pete because it like, you know, you can, you feel a bit better. And I think that lifts the group as well and also allows defensively. We talked about last year with the Collingwood game, the Jamie Elliott, they didn't have defensively structured up when Jones was kicking that goal. By having Peter there, they can get to the spots, take a breather, thinking, okay, there's a better chance than most he's going to kick this. And, you know, that validates the hard work that we've been doing in the midfield to get it forward. Because nothing, you know, makes you lose confidence and drop your head more as a midfield group and as a backline group is to work hard to stop a goal, move it up the field, only to finally get a chance at a, um, a shot at goal for someone just to just blast it and, you know, you miss. Yeah, and then Kyle Langford at the 11 disposals kicked a goal and then Jake Stringer 18 disposals. Uh, didn't hit the scoreboard, but still a really good game from Jakey. He had um, six clearances, eight score involvements. Real team-focused Jake Stringer that we've gotten this year and it's um, it's nice to see and he gets so excited when someone else does something and, you know, we saw him wrapping up um, Zach Merritt, saw him getting getting around Jai Menzi and players like that and it's, it's really good to watch. He seems to be really enjoying his footy and his time at the club and um, that's really, really heartening to see. And, and Kyle Langford just keeps trucking on, kicked another goal, and he's got to try and keep ahead of Peter right now in the uh, in the goal-kicking stakes. Yeah, it's after one game, and he's gone from being 25 in front to only 20. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, hopefully um, he can keep in front of him because that means that he's kicked a lot more goals. Uh, just quickly, small forwards. Menzi, 12 disposals, three marks, two goals. Snelling, 14 disposals, four marks, one goal and a tackle. And then Matty Guelphy, 14 disposals, a goal and six score involvements. Getting a lot of our small forwards there, you know, obviously hitting the scoreboard themselves, but their defensive work and keeping the pressure. And it was really noticeable how, you know, when the, the switch did come in the third, right, blokes like Saad and Doherty didn't have as much time as they had in the, in the first quarter, you know, the first half, sorry. So, yeah, really, really pleasing to see those guys who are unheralded um, kind of perform their role and get their just rewards. Yeah, did well. We'll just quickly round out the goods with 100 games to Jaden Laverty. Obviously, much loved on this podcast, his lab, and he had the 12 disposals at 100% efficiency, as reliable as ever. And um, that's been a, a really pleasing uh, player to watch get to that milestone. And it's been hard-earned because he's had some some uh, trials and tribulations along the way and injuries and things like that get in his way. So uh, really good to see Lab string together a few really good years now. And, um, yeah, good on him for 100 games. And nice to see us actually give someone uh, a good a good send-off and get a win in a milestone game as well. It hasn't been something that we've been great at over the last probably five or six years. And that tide has somewhat turned in the last probably 12 months or so, I think, which is good. Yes, Um Good luck for the 100 games and hopefully the next 100 will be uh, come a lot quicker and have a bit more success. That's it. All right, let's take a quick break and we'll come back uh, to discuss the game a little bit more. All right, so let's round out this game, Brendan. We'll jump into the bad. Not not a lot of bads this week, obviously. So what we'll start with this one is that we let opposition stars get the ball through the midfield. So that was Sam Walsh with the 35 disposals, uh, Adam Serra with the 31 disposals, Sam Doherty, 27 disposals, and uh, Adam Saad, boo, with 22 disposals. So, um, no, in all seriousness, uh, yeah, we didn't shut down, I guess, the names that we know. And then you can probably add to that, that was the midfield, but, you know, you can add in the first quarter, I think Charlie Kerno had three or four shots on goal in the first quarter as well. I know you can't stop everyone, obviously, otherwise you'd win by 300 points every week and it'd be great. But um, I guess, yeah, the number of players that still managed to get their hands on the ball um, was, a, was a little alarming, I suppose, and we'd like to probably lessen the influence of, of some of those well-known names. Yes, yes, certainly. And I guess the, the only other bad from the night was, you know, the talk about, you know, big Sammy Draper has been carrying his hip. I know we've mentioned looks like he's getting a lot of work done on his, on his groin region. Looks like it's been connected to his hip. Hopefully he can uh, he can rest up over the bye there and get it right. That's kind of what uh, Brad Scott alluded to there. Um, yeah, just got to be careful with him. Such an important kind of talisman to us. Like, you know, sometimes it's not you know, so much the hit outs and the, the stats and everything that he does. He's just doing one of those little crazy plays where he doesn't actually know what he's doing, but he just gets the ball forward and he does something crazy with it. 
And it just lifts. The crowd gets involved. The players get involved. He's a real, real heart and soul player there, Draper. So, you know, just having him out there, I think, is a real, a really lift the boys there when they turn across and they, they see the big mullet flapping in the wind. So, yeah, hopefully he can he can get fit and uh, continue for the second half of the year. That's it. Um, in the uglies, we didn't have any uglies for the actual game, but during the game, some news came out that. Um, Badger Hooley, who I guess a lot of people listening would know, started you know his football life as, as an Essendon player there in the AFL. Uh, he was involved in a, in a car accident while camping where the car flipped over and he was airlifted from Canberra, uh, airlifted from the site to Canberra and then from Canberra to Melbourne with a broken pelvis and other injuries and broken bones. So Badger Hooley um, doing it pretty tough by the sounds of it at the moment. So we send our well wishes to him and his family and hope that he's uh, on the road to recovery because he's a absolute stand-up person and done a lot for the game and a lot for the community and um, definitely uh, don't want to see him in any bad shape. So, um, yeah, all the best to Batcher. I know it's not directly related to the game, but, um, yeah, the news came out while the game was on and, and uh, yeah, having a connection to Essendon, we thought it was relevant to, to highlight as well. Move on to the Heath Hocking medal votes. We're going to do something a little bit different this week, Brendan. Um, we're going to read each other's votes and, uh, and see what we've done. So I'll let you start with my votes. So, Mark went with five votes to Nick Martin, four votes to Peter Wright, three to Happel, two to Ridley, and one to Mason Redmond. And then your votes, Brendan, you've gone the five votes to Peter Wright, same amount of votes as goals, that makes sense. Four votes to Nick Martin, Chai Menzi gets the three votes, great effort there by Jai. Uh, ben Hobbs, two votes, and one vote to Zach Merritt. So, we can see a pretty, um, pretty high... Um, I guess, recognition there of midfielders and uh, also people who managed to, to get involved in the game and be, be key players in turning the tide. And that's the, that's the real good thing. Like, we can sit together and watch the game. And I've kind of mid-forward Menzi, I thought, had a really influential game there with, you know, some of his defensive work and his positioning and stuff. And you've gone with the, the three defenders in Happel, Ridley and Redmond. So it's interesting how you can kind of both look at different parts of the ground and have an influence you know, either way. So, yeah, good to see. Let's move on to some club news now. So, um, moving away from the Carlton game and into club news. So, Mark Bolton returns to Essendon. So, Mark Bolton, everyone will remember, played 124 games uh, between 1998 and 2007. Um, he was a little bit before his time, almost Bolton, a big, tall, athletic uh, player, could play a shutdown role through the midfield despite being, you know, massively tall compared to, to other midfielders. And, um Still had a, had a fantastic career for Essendon. Yeah, made uh, made um, Adam Goods his bunny on several occasions. There, there was a stage later in his career when when Goods was you know at his prime, you know Brownlow medalist that Bolton had come in and absolutely beat him hands down. So um, yeah, it's good. I know your hatred of the Swans there, Mark, who would have uh, always brought a smile to your face when he uh, when Bolts rolled out because you know that this is at least one time we're gonna. Not like an opposition superstar beat us. Definitely. I've probably got a little bit excited talking about Mark Bolton and failed to mention what he's actually come back to the club for. So <laughs> he's, uh, there's a new role there of uh, Chief Strategy and Growth Officer. So a um, bit of a, a wordy title and um, maybe a little bit uh, hard to recognise at first exactly what I guess the person that is the Chief Strategy and Growth Officer will do. So maybe, Brendan, do you want to just give us a high-level overview of what that is going to involve for Mark Bolton. Yes, yeah, so I'll, I'll read this directly from the club and then we'll think we'll try and decipher what they're actually trying to say. Uh, develop and enhance the club's community footprint and strategy, developing alternative revenue streams for the club and the optimization of existing non-football revenue, leading the development and implementation of our club's sustainability action plan and oversee club's data and IT functions. So, <laughs> what does that mean? You're so the corporate man. So, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna have a crack at this, develop and enhance the club's community footprint and strategy. I think that's that's a pretty straightforward one. I think there's a lot of connection there with with local groups and local clubs and and uh, and the various things. You know, football, men's, women's, um, you know, all abilities, football things like that as as well. Uh, and then the next one there, developing alternative revenue streams. I think. When you read that and say optimization of non-existing, uh, oh, sorry, of existing non-football revenue, I think that screams 
um, transitioning away from the, the current pokies arrangement that we have. And, and there's a bit of heat, obviously, on that. Uh, I'll move to the, the third dot point. And I'll, I'll come back and get your view on that as well, Brennan. But just the third dot point, leading and development of implementation of a club sustainability action plan. I think all big corporate companies now need a sustainability action plan to show some commitment to the environment and, and uh, you know, lessening your environmental footprint, I suppose. And then oversee the club's data and IT functions. I'm pretty sure that's just him resetting passwords and stuff uh, when people forget their passwords. <laughs> I think he just chips chips in there at the end of the day and resets a few passwords, sets up a few keyboards, and and that's uh, bolts done for the day before he drives home. So uh, what's what's your take on it? Well, I, I, what I saw developing alternative revenue streams for the club, my mind maybe cheekily went went to went to the bombers there, the esports zone. Do we get the esports back out? <laughs> we get there. What did what did Bryce Harbour call them? The the boffin looking operators or something like that. You know. <laughs> I forgot. I forgot about the esports team. I I feel like that wasn't given enough time and commitment to let it really grow i think uh there's a there was a definite something there but uh yeah obviously didn't the club didn't feel that there was a, a need to continue how could you forget the champions of the uh the esport team you know by our top laner sleeping uh jungler seb our mid laner luch Right, our bot laner Tiger Roger, as according to the Bombers Wikipedia page, I can't believe there's a Wikipedia page for this. <laughs> like Wikipedia is like we all know is not the greatest, you know, credibility source, but someone's gone to the effort to put this all in and and footnote it and link it all out. That's uh, that's amazing. I think um, we've digressed a fair bit, so I think good on, good on Mark Bolton for getting back to the club. I think that's a really smart move in all seriousness by the club um, to get you know someone who's a, a fantastic Essendon person and, a, and a, a, um, a really great player for Essendon over the years as well back to the club and, and um, hopefully that sees him do that role really well, that new role, and then who knows what that might lead into in the future. So um, let's get back into some footy and get the, get the pod back on track. So... Um, the VFL, it was Carlton 14, 15, 99 to Essendon 10 goals, 8, 68. So we lost by sort of five goals there, uh, which was which was disappointing. I think um, Carlton there just had the better of us. They were just, you know, a, that sort of goal or two better side throughout the game and just, just edged away. And uh, their inaccuracy probably helped us a little bit at times as well. So they, you know, uh, the first part of that game I watched and it was – very similar to the um, to the AFL game. It started off with both sides struggling to kick goals and and to uh, break away from each other. And it was a good opportunity, nonetheless, for for our AFL listed players um, to get some exposure. And that list is growing now that there's uh, the injury list is decreasing, which is good. So um, let's go through some of those. Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess the key thing to note with the Carlton side, they were a lot more experienced. They had more AFL players. They're actually on their list in there. Plus, they had VFL listed players, there was a number of them where, like, they had been on former AFL list themselves. It was one possession of play. It was all the Carlton VFL listed players that went from one end to the other. But I'm like, oh, that bloke used to play for Collingwood. That bloke used to play for Richmond. That bloke used to play for Brisbane. <laughs> right, so they had a quite a quite a strong senior core there. And, you know, that they had the 67 inside 50s to our 44. So when you think we've lost about, you know, four or five goals, right, Considering how much more inside fifty ball they had, it's um yeah we've done pretty well. So we, we had the eleven players AFL listed players play on the weekend, uh, highlighted by number five Elijah Sardis, twenty five disposals, two marks, two tackles, kicked two behinds, and he, I believe he had eight clearances as well. He's um he's really starting to get some you know K's under the legs now, and he is showing why he was taking pick five in the draft. I'm. I'm really excited to see what he can do. You know, I don't think he'll come into the side soon after the bye. Bye comes at an awkward time for a lot of these players, but Elijah in particular, there. You know, do they do they work him hard in the uh, in the week off? Do they what do they what do they try and do? But yeah, I think once he has maybe two, three more games of consistent VFL football, I'd I'd be hoping that he you know maybe gets in for a couple of sneaky games in the back half of the year because I think. He's a very strong runner. He's got that birth rate pace and he's 
seems to be quite a smart footballer. There are a lot of times where he's kind of he's made the right play at the right time, been even leaving his man at the right time or hitting a contest or kicking it to the right spot where the forward can lead on to instead of kicking it on their head. He does a couple of very nice things when you when you watch him play. Next up there was Nick Cox. So he had the 15 disposals, one mark and three tackles. He played predominantly uh, through the midfield again. Um, to be honest, I, I think this is probably just something they have to kind of stick with. I think they're trying to get him exposure around the ball. And, you know, given that our VFL side struggling a little bit, it's probably a bit hard playing anywhere on the ground at the moment, let alone, you know, playing on a wing or, or up forward. So um, probably just trying to get him some exposure. My initial thoughts, although this might sound harsh, is that Nick is not... He doesn't have a, a desire to compete, you know, in that hard contest kind of environment that might be, you know, warranted with um, playing in the midfield. I, I don't think that's his go. And I don't think that's not necessarily, a, you know, an insult to him or anything because not, not every player can be like a Joel Selwood, you know, bury in and, and um, really enjoy that. So I think Nick's probably a really silky, you know, clean user on the outside. And I think that that's why he excelled on the wing. And I think that we should explore going back to halfback with him as well. Cause I think we could really benefit from his height intercepting. And then his use of the ball by foot is uh, pretty elite as well when he's up and about and confident. So although they're playing him in the midfield, I, I kind of wouldn't mind to see that come to an end, that experiment and for him to settle down at halfback and show us what he's got there. Cause I think 15 disposals for Nick Cox at halfback is going to look like a very different game to 15 disposals for Nick Cox in the midfield. I think we talked about it. it. Might have been the pod. Maybe it was just in our conversation we had during the week. But I think Nick Blakey, the role that Nick Blakey plays for the Swans, Blakey's just signed like some seven-year deal, some ridiculous thing up at Sydney. I reckon that's the role we should be looking to play Coxie in. That is obviously at half back. He's got beautiful skills on either side of the body that can help us get us out of trouble. You know, he can link up the ground. We talk about having. The marking players up on the wing, that hasn't been a feature of our game in recent years. We're now looking to kick and mark a lot more. So that'll be something that will be really important. And I think with him being a taller intercept player, he can float across. That opens up a lot of options to what we do with Jordan Ridley. You know, do we look to push Rids up the ground a bit more, get his kicking involved, you know? I think, you know, you could maybe say that Cox is a taller version of Ridley almost. And having, having those two guys play that way, does that mean that, a Redman or a Hind or a Massimo can be super attacking in their role and we can kind of move the numbers around and kind of not lose so much defensively with having those guys there. So I agree with you in that I don't think midfield is his role. Uh, look, I could be proven wrong and I'm happy to be proven wrong because, you know, 200-centimetre midfielder, you know, like a big Bontempelli, uh, certainly, certainly take that. But I do think um, kind of a flank you kind of – works up onto the wing and pushes forward. I think it's probably, that's probably more suited to his skill set. But, yeah. Uh, speaking of a bloke that I actually do think is a legit key defender for us in the coming years, Lewis Hayes, 14 disposals and one mark. And I had, had a bit of a tougher day there, obviously, with all the ball that was coming in for the Blues there. But he just he just shows something. He's taking the kick-out duties there. So, obviously, trust his composure under pressure, which is a good sign there. And, you know, he just competes well above his head and, you know, it, it, it's kind of funny. You see him with the red hair and you think, oh, that's he's that's Dustin or Dustin's son. But it's like, no, it's you kind of you got to get that out of your head there. He's, um, but he does play a lot like Dustin there. So, um, you know, we can get, get 400 games at Lewis Hayes. I think we'd all be pretty happy. <laughs> it's, it's an interesting point, isn't it? A lot of people say, oh, the next Dustin Fletcher. But um, we could be watching the first Lewis Hayes. So um, keen, to, keen to see that unfold. Nick Bryan was another Nick Bryan game. 25 disposals, nine marks, a goal. 31 hit outs. He, he's at that point where he's kind of getting too good for VFL that you can regularly back up really good performances in the VFL. And he's shown that he's probably, you know, one of the premier ruckmen in the VFL, but he needs to be able to go up a notch, I think, to maintain a position in AFL. He's had a couple of opportunities and, you know, that's very limited, I know, in that sample size, but he just needs to get up to AFL and do something that shows improves that, you know, he can't be dropped. You know, they can't take him out of that side. That There's something something there. So um, we're at a really interesting predicament there with Brian because clubs are going to be coming for him and he's going to be wanting opportunities. And um, at the moment, we don't be able to seem to, to afford those to him. And we're probably expecting him to just go up, you know, another notch. Um, so hopefully we see that happen. Move on to, to Kane Baldwin, 20 disposals, six marks. I, I honestly thought Kane was probably best on ground for us. He... 
he has excelled in the back line, making that move. And I'm not sure how much back line he's played through his juniors. There was a lot of talk that he was always a key forward. But um, he is an ultimate competitor. And I think I said to you, um, you know, separate to this pod, that he's he's like Laverty 2.0. He just crashes in, goes for everything, goes to mark everything. He's got a great pair of hands and reads the ball really well. Um, I think it's really good signs that, you know, Kane's only sort of twenty twenty one. I think, um, you know, coming from a bit of a injury background there. But um, I, I think he just – or he, he looks a cut above VFL off very limited, um, I guess, experience at that level. And that's that's a good early sign. Yeah, 193 centimetres, 97 kilos and 21 years of age. So I agree with you, Mark. He looks a very, very promising player. Right? And this might – Look, we've obviously thrown him back at the start of this year being, you know, we've got some, you know, we had some weakness with the injuries in back, so we needed some height down there. He's excelled really well there. So is this a case where he's getting an education as a defender? So when he goes back as a forward, he kind of knows what what they want, what they don't want. When he's played AFL this year, he came in, he had a really tough game on Danaher there, and Danaher was on fire and they were looking for him there. But he, um, he did a pretty good job for a bike that was um, – under siege a little bit there. So, yeah, I'm really excited to see what what he becomes in the long term because I do think there is a long-term player in, in Kane Baldwin there. So we're going on to a couple of smaller players there. Alistair Lord, 17 disposals and two marks. And Alwyn Davies, 16 disposals and nine tackles. Uh, I like Lord's run and dash from the back line there. Um, looks to have put on some size again this year and throughout the year he hasn't dropped away sometimes. Through the year, you lose a bit of weight because you're not doing lots of um, gym sessions. You're kind of more more running. But he seems to have, have maintained that, which is good for him. And, and Davey there with the nine tackles there. He's a classic player. I like the fact that he's getting more football into his hands. So, you know, I think Tex Wanganing was a carryover emergency. Um, so I think he kind of played the role that Tex did the week before, kind of got in the midfield a bit more, used, used his class out in the wing. So, yeah, good to see Alwyn getting some footy. Patrick Voss, uh, pretty similar game to what he's been able to, to punch out this year. 13 disposals, three marks and seven tackles. He only had the one behind on the weekend, but he's been playing uh, a bit further up the ground and um, and I guess getting a bit more ball in hand and, and um, yeah, trying to, trying to get Ks in the legs as well. So uh, he seems to be applying himself as to what the coaches are asking and hopefully that means we get to see See an AFL game out of him one day soon. Cam McBride, six disposals, three marks, a tackle and four hitouts. Um, very curious player, McBride. He does a couple of things that are quite flashy and and um, and really make you wonder, you know, there's something there. And um, he's probably just been a victim of coming through at a development stage where he probably needed it more than anybody, you know, coming from a, from a completely different background to, to everybody else. And he was really hampered by... Um, by the whole COVID thing over the last few years. But um, nonetheless, he's still out there and he's still developing. And we are seeing glimpses of, of uh, some really good, you know, contested marking and things like that and athleticism as well. We'll just round out here with um, Tipper, 11 disposals, one mark and two tackles. Um, Tipper do, doing his thing and still still getting Ks into the leg and, uh, and ready for a call up when he's needed. So good to see Tipper out there enjoying himself. And then I'll let you finish with uh, with Jaden Hunter. You liked what you saw with Jaden Hunter. Just just before we go on to Jaden Hunter, actually, we're in the number 49 Guernsey. And I was happy to hear, um, I don't know which commentator it was, but someone referred to, you know, that he was wearing the same Guernsey that Matt D wore for, for Essendon. And uh, it was just a nice little throwback. That was, a, that was a good time when, you know, Matty D came in and played when we needed top-up players. And it was a pretty dark time for the club. And he was someone who really put his arms around the club and the supporters could get behind. And he, um, he ended up earning himself a, a few extra years on the back of that. And, um, yeah, that was just a nice little throwback that I enjoyed the, the commentator making the reference in the game. Yeah, I believe that was Jason Bennett was the commentator there. And he often comes up with a lot of good things. He actually called the AFL game for seven. And he actually mentioned the fact that a lot of the boys were VFL players and they played a lot of VFL together because Bennett calls the VFL seven. And then it was fortuitous that, you know, 20 minutes later, they go to Mason Redmond and he talks about them playing VFL together. So I can imagine Jason was pretty happy with that. Yeah, Jaden Hunter, um, 12 disposals, nine marks, four goals won as a key forward. Yeah, I think there's something to like there. You obviously see a lot of his highlights from over in the West there. Um, he mentioned him, even himself, the game in the Waffles, a different style of game to VFL. 
Uh, Waffle looks very much up and back, free-flowing, aggressive, not a lot of stoppages. And that's historically been the way, I guess, you know, you talk about, you know, you're going back to the 50s, 60s, you know, 70s, 80s. The Waffle was already always a very fast-paced, fast-running game. And I think it's probably got to do with, you know, in Western Australia, it's, it's a lot sunnier. The grounds are the harder. You get a lot of easy run. Whereas in Victoria, traditionally, it's wet during the winter. It's boggy. There's lots of, you know, in the old days, mud. So there's a lot more stoppages. Bigger bodies contested. Like, it's just a different style based on geography. And he said that's something that he did notice that there's a lot more stoppage and contested. So for him to adapt in the space of one week, to come out and have nine, nine marks as a key forward and obviously convert them four goals one. And, you know, we talked to you maybe cheekily, Peter, Peter Wright, Mark two with his goal kicking is... He's very inaccurate goal kicking. He looks like he's a, when he's got the ball, he knows what he's doing with it. He's confident in his ability, and he's a lock Peter. He can kick it from 60, 65 with not much, with not much trouble there. Um, so, Mark, before we leave the VFL, I was just thinking as we were talking about Nick Bryan there. We I think we recognise in the ruck he's he's too good for VFL, but in an AFL there he's probably not going to get those opportunities at the moment with Phillips and Draper there. So. Do we try to maybe build and work on his forward craft? You know, we've got Key McBride, who's doing the backup hitouts for us. Uh, you've got John Jorgensen, who's a VFL-listed player that does some of that forward stuff hitouts. Could it be that we play Brian as a third-tour forward? So you have Voss, Brian, and Hunter as your three key forwards, and then Jorgensen can do the ruck work or even Key McBride can do the ruck work because I know – We've seen Keane predominantly as a key defender, but you mentioned those couple of nice things that he does. I've, I've found that he does a lot more of those when he's in the ruck, when he's around the ball. He's just got a – he's a big frame. He's just got to compete, you know. I, I think he's a good defender, but he's, he's not going to ever going to be getting a lot of possessions and intercept markers. If you get him around the ball, I think that he can kind of get a bit more involved and it might be able to see if there's something there for him. What do you think about maybe switching it around just to – get guys exposed to different areas to develop their games. Yeah, I, I like it. And I remember early days when Brian was sort of uh, only just at the club. And I think that that was when there was maybe, you know, some of those scratch matches through 2020 and stuff. So maybe not a great reference point, but he did play a little bit of forward at times in, in some of those games and showed a bit. And um, I think it would be good because he, he's, he's rucking basically full games in the VFL more or less. And that's not going to happen in, in AFL. We are going to need him to play multiple roles in, in the AFL. So there's at some stage you've got to pick it up. And I think it's it's quite difficult to pick it up at AFL level where you're playing on better opponents and the pace of the game's quicker. Because I think it, Nick's probably probably the blood on Nick at the moment when he goes up to AFL level is I, I think you can see that that adjustment to pace um, is something that that he needs. And, and you can't really get that without playing at that level. And he's, he's struggling to get opportunities in a row and repetitive opportunities to be able to do that. So that, that's a little bit out of his control somewhat. But um, but I think having having the exposure to the forward role, as you said, at VFL level would, I guess, at least give him those tools so that when he does go up to AFL level, he can impact not only when he's in the ruck, because we've seen him do good things in the ruck at AFL level, but also when he's resting forward, uh, he can have an impact. And that's something that Draper really added to his game last year. So why could we not see Nick Cox, uh, sorry, Nick Bryan follow, um, you know, suit uh, only a year or two later. So I think it is important um, to get him up there and, and yeah, give him those skill sets. Yeah. So the boy, the VFL boys are 18th on the ladder. With only the two wins and nine losses. Uh, next week is the bye. So it aligns with the AFL bye there. So the boys will have a have a week off, week off, rest up, and then hopefully take the second half of the season and get a get a few more wins. And the VFLW had a bye this week there. I think that was across the competition there. So no VFLW played this week. So it's nothing to talk about for them. Yeah, that's it. Um well let's let's take a quick break and we'll come back with just five or so minutes of just chat about kind of reflecting, as you said earlier in the pod at the start of the pod on on kind of where we're at and uh, where we might be heading. So we don't normally get to do this, Brendan, because we're normally reviewing the next week's game and we're, we're talking about only a few days ahead, but um, I guess a good, good opportunity to go to to the sort of halfway point of our season and um, talk about how we've gone. I think it's fair to say it's a vast improvement 
on last year and it certainly exceeded what my predictions were for us. Um, I know we're only halfway, but it certainly exceeded my uh, expectations and predictions that I had earlier in the year. I think I had us firmly placed in the bottom four. Um, so eight and five, we've um, won sort of majority of the games, I think, that we would have been expected to have won based on our form and nearly pinched a couple and got Melbourne along the way. And I think we had some good chat about this um, today, talking about that it's kind of a weird situation because we're eight and five and we should be pretty happy with that. And there's part of us that seems a bit reserved to be getting too carried away with it, which I think is good and bad. I think it's good because you don't want to get carried away and then have your heart broken, but it's uh, it's bad, I think, because that's the mentality of an Essendon supporter these days. So it's um, we're kind of in this little bit of limbo and I think that the buy probably comes at a good time for supporters as well to just um, check out some footy for for a week or so and reflect and say, hey, it actually has been really enjoyable to go to the footy and we're looking forward to come, coming back after the buy. And um, I think that's the big difference for me is that it has actually been enjoyable to get back to the footy this year. Well, that's it. Eight and five. We've won more games by the halfway mark of the season than we did all all of last year there. And, you know, we're playing a very identifiable brand and you can see it, you know. It's not – it's kind of the opposite to under the previous regime. It was – we, this is the game style we're going to play. There's a lot of talk about the game style, but when you watch the game, you couldn't see the game style. Whereas in this one, like, there's been no talk of the game style. In fact, they've did, we kind of tweak it to what we're doing each week is based upon the opponent, right? But you can watch it and you can clearly say, oh, this is how they're playing. And I think Matty Lloyd there said in one of his media commitments over the, uh, over the weekend there that, they're starting to build trust in the playing, in the supporter group, in that you know when you go to an SN game what you're going to see. You know, and look, you, you might lose because someone's a bit better or you don't execute skills or whatever, but fundamentally, this is how they're going to play. And that is something we have not seen for a long, long, long time. And I think the word we were discussing, I think we said we were, we were scared that we're going to get blown away. And that scaring comes from all the scarring that we've had. Over, over the the many false dawns, the 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 good sides. We've had some. You look at the paper. You look at some. Sound like a current supporter. You look at the team on paper that we've had over the past decade. At one stage, we had like seven guys or eight guys that were former or current or soon to be all Australians. <laughs> you had multiple multiple lines: two forwards, two backs, three in the midfield. Right. It was like wow, like this is actually good paper, and we just never got anywhere, kind of where Carlton is now. Now you look at this, it's a younger side. As someone, I think, in the media alluded to it, potentially being the baby bombers, you know, with your younger midfield there carrying the side there. And it was like, I don't know if I'm enjoying this enough. I want to enjoy it more, but I'm scared. Even like when we we blitzed Carlton after the third quarter, for the rest of that game, I was like, because they had, I think they had six or seven shots on goal in that. Every time I was like, oh, this is when it comes. This is when the this is when it comes. The momentum's going to swing against us. We're going to capitulate again. I couldn't I couldn't let go and just enjoy us being in front and having a big win against the enemy. Right? I was still kind of a little bit scared that you know. Well, oh, we're gonna, this is when we lose it instead of no. This is us winning it. So hopefully, you know, under Brad Scott by the end of his time as coach, whenever that may be, hopefully he can have a Kevin Sheedy-style 27-year run with multiple premierships, but oh, we'll, we'll have uh, chipped away at a little bit of that scarring and I can, I, I want to just go into a game where I say, yeah, we're going to pump this side and I know we're going to pump it and I have no self-doubt that we're going to do it and we actually do it and I walk out of the way going, yes, we did it. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's, it's an interesting point and um... Yeah, it, I, I think that that's obviously just going to take time. Um, but I think, as you said, the, the belief is building and the trust is building as well. And I think we're seeing more Essendon people turn up to games as well, which is which is encouraging to see. And uh, players seem to be enjoying each other's company more and being out on the field together more and getting around it. Getting around it. So, um, yeah, really good to see. And I know there's a lot of talk about finals now starting to, to happen. And I, I still don't think... There's all these articles that say that we have the easiest run home, and I still don't really see that. We still play sides that have troubled us, you know, the Bulldogs, Sydney. Um, we've still got to go to Perth and play um, play against Frio after the bye. We've still got to play Port Adelaide uh, here, who are, you know, second on the ladder. We've still got to play Collingwood, who's first on the ladder. Um, so there's not – it's not littered with 
easy games. Like, yeah, maybe statistically, but I don't think there really is an easy game now. You know, we played North Melbourne, who were second last in the ladder, and only just scraped over the line, luckily, you know, a week or so ago. And I don't think there's really that many easy games anymore. So um, do I think we can make finals? Yeah, absolutely. I think we can make finals. We're in a position now to, to be in there. So we've only got to maintain what we've done. Um, we don't need to necessarily, you know, imp- improve it. Um, but I guess there's that hesitation that I feel like it will be more damaging if we make it and get blown away in an elimination final again. So if, I, if we do make it this year, and I hope we do, but if we do make it, I want to run in with some momentum um, that can lead us into, you know, hopefully a big home final that you get a crowd to, that you can get everyone behind and and um, actually do something and hopefully break, break that drought that everyone talks about. But I think we're still a while away from that yet, and there's there's a lot of water to go under the bridge. But it, it is exciting, I guess, for us in advance to to start thinking about it and uh, and to start doing the maths. Well, you mentioned the draw there, and we'll talk about. Everybody knows we've got West Coast and North Melbourne again, and they're back to back games like they were were early year. But that that's still you know seven or eight weeks away. So I'll re- I'll run you through the run that we've got up until that point. And if we're in a chance to make finals, it's not because we've had a soft, soft draw. It's because we've won games. So we've got the bye this week, which, you know, is good for the boys. Then we've got Fremantle in Perth. Then we've got Port Adelaide here, Adelaide here. Then Geelong in Geelong. Then the Bulldogs. Then Sydney at Marvel. Then we've got the West Coast and, and North Melbourne there. So Fremantle <laughs> are going pretty well at the moment. Right, we don't travel particularly well. Having said, we we had a good win against the West Coast earlier in the year. Hang on, I'll just pull the ladder up so I can tell you exactly where these are. So Fremantle is tenth and on the cusp, you know, of an of an eighth spot. Then we got Port Adelaide, who is second on the ladder. Then we got Adelaide, who is seventh. The Cats, who are ninth. The Bulldogs, who are eighth, and then the Swans, obviously further down at thirteenth there, but. You know, when you think about we're currently sixth and the majority, apart from the Port Adelaide game, the majority of our opponents are in that sixth to 10th range. So we're all competing for the same spots. So we're going to have to beat the sides around us in order to keep our spot in the in the eight, let alone improve to get further up the ladder. So if we make finals, it's not because we have a soft draw. It's because we've beaten the sides around us and had good wins and put in professional performances that are consistent. Yeah, and I think, you know, the Carlton win was really important um, because if you look at the ladder, if you've still got it in front of you there, Brendan, the, I think if you look, if you take away, say, say take away two wins, say take away the Richmond win, which we got, you know, the ball kind of bounced the right way for us at the end and we kind of, you know, we, we, did, we did deserve to win. I'm not taking that away from us, but it could have easily gone the other way. Um, so that's one that could have been not four points awarded to us. North Melbourne, arguably, you know, we don't have a good good enough third quarter against the Blues and, and maybe that goes the other way as well or if they kick a bit straighter, something like that. So maybe take take off eight points from us and that probably puts us in the realm of being down almost towards 10th. Yeah, so yeah. it's... A, it's a big difference. Like, I guess a lot of people talking about, oh, you know, we're, we're sort of technically equal third or fourth, I think, at the moment, uh, you know, a fair bit of percentage away behind that. But um, but I think it's important to to kind of, without being pessimistic, I don't want to sound glass half empty here. It's probably a bit late because I probably already do. But um, but I think if you put it into perspective, I think I thought I would know by this point where we sat and I'm still not sure whether I do. I think I'm really pleased with how we're going and I, and I really have gotten behind Brad Scott and I'm really happy with that appointment for, for something that I wasn't so sure about when it happened and um, I'm really happy with that, really enjoying going to the footy but uh, yeah, as you said it's going to be a big game against Freo and and uh, a few big games to come because if we really do truly deserve to make it and have what it takes to be there um, in the first week of finals then we're kind of going to find that out over the next probably two to three weeks Well just to reiterate the point I made earlier about being the sides that are around us we're sixth Adelaide is seventh, Bulldogs is eighth, Geelong is ninth, and Fremantle is tenth. So we literally play the four sides directly beneath us on the ladder that are sitting seventh to tenth. All right. And, you know, you talk about those two games we missed. If we take those two games out, we're below all those sides on the ladder. They're above all of them. All four of those sides are above us. 
So a couple of tight wins have gone our way, right? And then, you know, talk about earlier about the Port Adelaide game and, you know, they, they kicked 20 behinds in that game. We were a bit lucky. The Geelong one, you know, we got blown away early, but we managed to bring it back in. That could have blown out. You know, Brisbane, same thing there. We've been quite lucky. We've got a pretty good percentage there. But the Crows are no joke. They're playing some pretty good football. The Bulldogs kind of, you know, and Geelong, you look at those sides on paper and you go, wow, like how good's how good's this? And then, you know, we talk about our – our, one of our key advantages over the first half of the year has been the two rucks in, in Draper and Phillips. You go against Fremantle, they're going to have Darcy and um, Jackson, you know, so all of a sudden that's not there and it's over there as well. So I guess, you know, Brad Scott's really got to get a big focus, kind of get, you know, have a big have a big week off and really target that Fremantle game and come out strong. So we've got these five weeks. This five weeks is our season. Let's hit this five weeks hard and see if we can, you know, three and two. If we come out of that three and two, I think we'd be well on our way. Yeah, and I think it's important to remember too that the the buys through the season are staggered across about three or four weeks. So there's going to be some sides around us on the ladder this week that that earn the four points and we might shuffle down the ladder by the, by the end of this week because we obviously don't play. Um, so I think it's all relative to where we sit probably in about two weeks' time. Um, so I think it's just, yeah, all focus on Fremantle, as you said, and if we can... If we can go over there and grab a win and knock someone off who's um, yeah just just around us on the ladder, then that would be huge and um, continue that excitement that starts to build. And um, yeah, that that's been the most pleasing thing I think uh, seeing seeing the stability and and um, going to games and seeing us and people happy and get around it and chanting and doing all of that has, has been really refreshing. So more of the same hopefully, but um, I guess that probably does us for this week, Brendan. Yes, it certainly does. And uh, long may the Essen victories over Carlton continue. Yes, uh, enjoy that one, Carlton fans. It's uh, been a little while since we've been able to say that. So uh, go the Dons. Go Bombers.